six points below average is is really hard to see after one year of prep. I think it was a shock of what had happened on the test. And I think a lot of it was like denial after the test, like hoping that I just imagined how illiterate I'd become. Hello, and welcome to the 7th Stage Podcast. I'm Joe Ping, and on today's episode, I speak with 7th Stager Sammy, who scored a 173 on her June 2019 LSAT. This was not an easy score for her. In fact, the 173 was her seventh official LSAT score over a period of three years. Talk about perseverance. We recorded the conversation in the winter of 2019. We waited to release this while her applications were pending, and then the pandemic caused further delays. So it is long overdue, to say the least, but I'm very glad that we're finally releasing the episode now. Sammy, welcome to the 7 Stage Podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So I think we should get started with you just telling us about all the LSAT scores that you have. Oh my goodness. I have seven LSAT scores. <laughs> these are all <laughs> official LSAT scores? <laughs> these are all official LSAT scores. That's correct. Spanning what kind of time frame? Three years. The first one was, I think I had maybe done like a power score book and I took the test. And I think I was genuinely shocked when I got at 152. Like, I couldn't imagine how that happened. Mm. I had not prepared for this. And I, I think a lot of it was I had just hoped that I would cram for so long. I had been able to get away with, you know, studying, I think, even a month before, you know, like a week before the test and doing fantastic in college. Mm-hmm. How long were you studying before you took it and got that 152? I think about a month. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you take a prep test to see what score you were looking at before taking it for real? I did. I did. And I remember a week before the test, walking out of the library really sad. And I believe I had gotten a 155 on that. On that prep test? On that prep test, a week before my first test. Okay. And I remember thinking, I really didn't have anyone to talk to. Like the only one I knew who had taken the test had a similar score that I did. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, I was like, well, you know, if I just study, you know, even a week in, right, a week before, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I can make a difference. That really was my thought process. But honestly, I felt pressured as well to take the test to be ready. And I wish I had just known about Seven Sage at that point. I think I would have made a post on the forum and somebody would have responded <laughs> uh, <laughs> and said, please don't take it. And so I think I actually studied all week. And like, even the day before the test, I was like, looking at power score and trying to memorize conditional logic. Right, right. <laughs> and I remember as I was driving to the test day, I was still studying as if this was like a regular test that I <laughs> that I study for like my biology exam or something, right? That I could just pass if I just memorize this thing. Yeah. And I remember getting the score and being shocked. And then I actually studied for, I would say about, I did a online blueprint course for about two months. Mm-hmm. And I actually was very regimented in that. I had then been able to get to about a 162 average, like I'd seen maybe high 150s, 160s. And at that point, I had thought that, okay, you know, maybe that score will get me to a good local school. And then I took it. And then I think as I was also researching law and getting really into it, just from this fantasy idea of what 
lawyers do versus like what I actually need, you know, what kind of school I should attend if I want to do, let's say, public service law or something like that. If I want to teach, and then I started noticing that, you know, my options were not looking very good if I wanted to do something like that with where I had been scoring. Which is a 162. Correct. When I actually got my test, it was 160. And I think had I not been doing my research, I think I would have been happy with that score. I see. And is that your second on record? That's my second. Okay. Correct. If I'm doing the math right, it seems like this is like three months in. Correct. Correct. Okay. One month for the first, two additional months. So three months in, you got a 160. Correct. You're looking at the schools that are, you know, with medians around 160. And you're just thinking those schools won't allow you to do the kind of legal work or academic work that you think you want to do. Right. Like, I think I quickly realized that the law profession is very different than like a medical school, that you can just get in somewhere and still have all the options available to you, I think. Mm, Yeah. One other thing that was different was, you know, my cousins and, you know, my friends, they are pretty much from like a medical side. So I think for them, that was like, oh, okay, so you've got a score that will let you get into, you know, SMU, right, which is a great school in Dallas. And you're from Dallas. I'm from Dallas, correct. Okay, so you're looking at the regional schools and the... Correct. I see. Correct, maybe a shot at Austin, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right, and so I think it was that. I think it was also like just misinformation and just like the idea of what like the law profession really is. Yeah, coming from your family, coming from your family uh, with their background in medicine, it's like if you can get into a decent regional school for medical school, that's fine. You should go because you'll end up with a residency program with placement. You'll be a doctor. You'll be fine. Right. But. Right. And I did get into SMU. Okay. Oh, so you you applied. I did. I applied and I got in. I actually got an okay scholarship. Mm. And I remember thinking, I think it was then when I had kind of discovered, you know, what, like my job prospects and what kind of law, and I was looking into it more. And so I then decided, since I'd only studied for three months, you know, I was like, three more months, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I went from 140s to 160s, what's 170, right? I'm going to do great. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I discovered Seven Stage. It was actually, the original one was a gift to me by my parents, because they were like, okay, if you want to study to get a 170, I'd talked about it. Mm-hmm. And it was on my birthday. And that's when I got that gift. And it was okay. probably the best gift I had ever, I've ever gotten because I think I was kind of browsing the forum and I really just barged in by mistake. I just kind of curious. There was a study group session going on, like a blind review group, uh, okay. a study session. And I just kind of clicked the link and I just like went in there. And in that room was Danny Sudaski and Josh Alby. And I remember going they noticed that I arrived and they were very nice mm. to like ask me questions about my prep. And they basically told me that I needed to quit taking practice tests, redo the core curriculum and foolproof games. And I think that was when it first dawned on me what kind of prep I was going to need to get into 170. I think it was the first time I actually met people who, you know, I felt like instead of like, I think, I don't want to say bad things about companies, but instead of like putting out the idea that three months, you can get a 180. Mm -hmm. I think it's the first time I realized that it was not going to be the case that I was going to put in three months and it was going to be a 170. I was going to have to actually 
get really, really good at this. And it was going to take time. And there was a lot of work to be done. Yeah. For people who don't know, Josh and Daniel are former seven sagers who are now in law school. I think Josh is a 1L at Northwestern and Daniel is... At Harvard. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, is he a 2L or he's either a 2L or a 3L? Correct. I think maybe 2L. Yeah. He also waited additional year. Right. Okay. So you thought to yourself three more months, you got this <laughs> new course and you found some study buddies online. Well, I don't think they wanted to be my study buddy. <laughs> they were doing really well. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I think I had people I could reach out to. Gotcha. I think that kind of changed the work I realized I had to do. So I, I redid the core curriculum for Seventh Age. Mm-hmm. I actually did a really good job at it this time around, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Instead of just like being passive, I think I was more involved. I looked up the topics. I would make my own quizzes. I started foolproofing games. Mm-hmm. And I think... I prepped for about, I would say, like additional almost a year before I took my test where I was scoring, I would say, a high 160, and I think offset enough into a low 170 mm. that I could take the test and be like, okay, I have a good enough shot that I think I can get into 170. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember being nervous for the third take because I felt I had been tutoring for free on seven stage and I felt like I was going to have to tell people <laughs> my, my score mm. and you know my family who I think were very disappointed that I'd taken a year mm, I see so I think I felt a lot of pressure going in and then I remember just I felt like I couldn't read during the test <laughs> uh, <laughs> like my ability to read like significantly just went down I see so you, you got family pressure yeah and also the fact that at that point, you were tutoring students for free and they're going to ask you Correct. three weeks from then, like, how did it go? What did you get? And you just felt like, okay, there's a lot of pressure. So yeah. that resulted in you becoming illiterate on the test. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> literally how it felt like. I remember thinking, I feel like my ability to understand English has just <laughs> decreased significantly. Okay. Okay. And what, what did you get? I got a 164. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's four points better than your second take. (laughs) Right. After a year of prep. Right, right. Uh, So I think it wasn't the shock of getting a 164. Mm -hmm. I think it was a shock of what had happened on the test. And I think a lot of it was like denial after the test, like hoping that I just imagined how illiterate I'd become. Mm -hmm. Right. Like just maybe just by pushing through, like maybe everyone experiences this. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't as bad. Right. But when the score came back, I think it was, oh my God, I performed, you know, six points below average is really hard to see after one year of prep. Right, right. And I think my biggest shock was LR. Mm-hmm. LR had, I always felt like LR was home mm. and LR had just like outright, like every section in LR. It was like, I didn't know LR, which I felt like so good at LR. I think that was also a shock. Mm. I thought it was RC. I cried buckets, loads of tears, but I got myself together <laughs> and I prepped again. But this time around, I focused on form. And I remember the form was that I was drilling had to deal with putting my pencil down and taking a deep breath. It had to do with managing my form better. So I would do all the good reading habits without relying on instinct because it felt like the instincts were the first one to go away. And this was within a span of a month almost because the September test rules came back 
I think towards the end of September mm -hmm. and the other test was like early November. So within a month, I was really, really focusing on, I believe, LR form, but really RC form because LR still kept like I would usually not have such bad sections on LR. So it was just RC because RC would move a lot. And I remember going to take the test. I remember really sticking to my RC form and my LG form. This is now you're on the fourth take. Fourth my, on my fourth take. And this is only a month after your third take. Correct. Okay. And I, and I came back from it feeling really, really good. And when the score came, it was a 169. Oh, that's really great. In a month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I tell people it's not that I improved five points in a month. Right. It's that I was already scoring there. I just had to get a strategy together right. that would allow me to score that. Yeah, because before your third take, your prep tests were showing high 160s, low 170s. Correct. Right, and your third take was a 164, so that was uh, definitely, I mean, it's within range, but it's definitely on the low end of the range. Like, you had to get really unlucky and also just, like, way underperform to get a score that low. Correct. So your fourth take seems to have reflected what you were capable of scoring. But still on the low end. Yeah, yeah. Because my average had improved. I remember I had improved my average to a 173 at this point. Okay. And you're attributing this mostly to just focusing on, you mentioned your form for RC, right? Correct. So I remember I had, like, instead of just relying on Lores, I had even built in the form of the sneak peek, like making it actually a thing, thinking ahead. And if I would read the next paragraph, then, you know, Lores and then connect back. I got just really strict with my form. I even got, I think in a particular way, like I wanted the Lores to be the exact kind of Lores that I wanted to look like. I didn't just rely on like, I'm sure it's good enough yeah. kind of system. Uh, and then I would put my pencil down after each RC passage, which I think really, really helped. I also got good at, I remember the kind of questions I would attempt. So I remember I would, I got better at flagging. Like I would be very underconfident before. You know, I felt like I had a better idea what to do for this test. Gotcha. We'll come back later and I'll ask you to expand on what you mean by all of these things that you mentioned. But for now, let's keep going. I just because I want to, okay. we're on number four, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, okay. So quickly. So, <laughs> so what happened was, I think had it been a 170 score, I would have given up right then. Right. <laughs> and it's silly, but it was because it was 169 that I was like, no, with the 173 average, I don't see why I cannot score better. Uh, okay. With more consistent, you know, maybe prep and more work, I should be able to one day score my average. Right. And so I think one thing I immediately noticed, again, it was my LR. My RC was fine this time around. LR across each section, I had gotten like something crazy, like minus six or minus seven, something really bad. And everything mm -hmm. else was almost perfect. Like it was like minus one or minus zero. So mm -hmm. I was like, what is it? LR was not an issue. And I think I wasn't able to pinpoint what the problem was for a very long time. I think around the same time, I also got sick. I had a flu, I think, for about three months. Mm. And I really struggled with that, like trying to study and being sick and trying to work at the same time. And after I got back, I noticed I had to foolproof games again because I just got very rusty. Anyways, I felt like going into my fifth and sixth takes, I hadn't pinpointed what the issue for LR was. And so I was again scoring fine and I took the test. But this time around, I even got worse. I got a 166. On um, both takes? On both takes flat out. Okay. And how much time had passed since the fourth one? 
I would say about five months because I took about three months off when I was sick. Okay. So five months later, you did a fifth take and then that was a 166. And then how much later for the sixth take? I registered right away. I was like, no, no, no. So the next administration, (laughs) you did the sixth take. Gotcha. Correct. Okay. Right. And I think at that point, I decided that I think I felt broken, almost like there was something wrong with me Mm. uh, and that I was not going to be able to perform like my average. Like it was just not going to happen. I was still tutoring LSAT. I think that kept me connected. Gotcha. And I think the more I taught, the more I kept answering the same question. I know what I'm doing. So what is it? So around the same time, I think I did make some changes, I think. I also, I think by having taken six takes, I also learned how I actually think under real conditions versus in practice tests. Mm, Right. So I think it was also this awareness of like what happens that allowed me to have, I think, going into the final take a better idea, but also a better idea of what the actual issue was, like a couple of other issues. So, you know, once I did a solid prep, I would say for about three months, I didn't, I think I had like two and a half fresh takes. And by half, I mean like the last 166 that I got that I hadn't blind reviewed, that fresh take, which was not a fresh take. That's all I had. Two PTs left that you hadn't seen before. Correct, correct. And there was a bunch of sections in the really, really old PTs, like RC that I had not seen. Right. But there was no really fresh prep test left yeah. going to the June test for me. <laughs> I don't know if you want me to get into that, but I, I took that and that was a very happy, happy moment. How much time had passed since between six and seven? Six months. Okay, six months. And then you took the seventh take. And what did you get? I... Finally got a 173. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So let me see. So way back when you got a 152 Mm -hmm. and then a 160. (laughs) Correct. 164, 169, and then two 166s and finally a 173. And that whole journey spanned about three years. Correct. Wow. Okay. Yeah. If you felt like after the fifth and sixth takes, I mean, dropping from a 169 where you were so close to getting your prep test average and dropping lower twice must have been devastating. Mm -hmm. I can imagine people just deciding like, okay, it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. How did I come back from that? I think my practice test that kept telling me I could score better. Uh I think that was it. It was a puzzle about, you know, I honestly felt like it was not skill because then I would be performing less under correct time conditions every time I took a practice test. And so it became a puzzle into my own psyche, right? Like, why am I performing so less under real conditions? Mm-hmm. And I honestly wanted to conquer it, not for the sake of getting the score. I think that was also a big change. I think the last 166, where I think I gave up in the middle, I think it really did become about a personal thing that I wanted to understand about me and mm-hmm. conquer that for my own life, I think. You know, it was not about the score, I think, that point. I enjoyed taking LSAT. I enjoyed teaching LSAT. I scored well in practice tests. So why not I figure out why I dealt with a stressful condition badly and what I could do to help myself with that. Mm. Okay. So it's more of like a struggle within yourself. Right, right. I think that's what it became. I think at that point, I also began to enjoy the process of, again, I think learning LSAT. I think that also I may have had a drop in score because I stopped enjoying it. And I was looking at the score as a validation. So I think it would feel even more stressful. Like, what if I slip? Yeah. So 
So <laughs> I think after that final 166, and I was like, I could go lower, but I think I just stopped caring. And I was just like, you know, I, yeah. I just want to enjoy this. I want to yeah. learn about myself. I did make a couple of changes, but that was really it. I think that's what kept me going. Yeah, that's so true. I don't know if there's any way to like fool yourself into believing this, but if people could tell themselves that the LSAT score doesn't matter at all, I feel like yeah. everyone would do better because it's way less stressful. <laughs> I see that too. Everyone I tutor and, you know, I laugh because it was so hard to believe it Yeah. till I actually really didn't care. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. One way you might try to approximate it is by signing up for more than one actual LSAT administration so that when you go to take your first one, you can be like, well, this one doesn't matter. Right. You know, I really have another one coming up, but you still need, should be ready to take the first one. Yeah. Now, let's now dive back into, I want to talk about how you got your 169, because that which was on your fourth take, because I feel like on that one, you were already, you know, like if you had gotten a little bit luckier that day, that would have been the end of the story, right? Right. <laughs> you know, 169 to 172 is probably like three or four more questions, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. But that's a pretty big improvement. And that's like the plateau that a lot of people say that they can get into the low, maybe even mid 160s. But then from there, they by and large, you've picked up all the low hanging fruit, so to speak, right? You've captured yeah. all the easy points. But breaking out of that plateau into the high 160s, low 170s, that's really tough. So right. uh, you have mentioned a bunch of things specifically about focusing on your form. Speak more about that. What does that mean? Yeah, so I think to me, form is the process that I use to evaluate what's happening. For me, it's like, you know, I can almost predict every single situation that's going to happen on LSAT, right? Like I'm going to encounter a 50-50. I'm going to encounter a tough RC passage. I'm going to encounter a game that is really tough. I'm going to feel as if a sentence is really, really hard. Okay, so you're not saying you can predict the questions or like the logic, but rather you're saying you can predict your own psychological reactions to what you will be encountering. Correct. Okay. And so I think for me, it became about having a decision that I decided was the most effective decision to resolve that particular issue. Mm -hmm. And instead of relying on the person who's in that moment on that question, you know, making a decision what to do, I relied on the strategy to guide me through, like what to do next. You're talking about yourself, right? <laughs> that, Correct. <laughs> Sammy in the middle of encountering an RC passage with a one whole paragraph that doesn't make any sense. That Sammy. Correct. Why not rely on her? Because she will make a bigger deal out of it. She will freak out. She may want to go back. She encounters a question about it and she can't answer. She may want to sink time on it. Mm-hmm. Because to her, every point really matters to get into 170 and she cannot see the big picture because mm. she's at the ground, kind of like the soldier fighting. Yeah. So I think that, and I did encounter on my 169 test, a paragraph that I couldn't understand. And the person who was taking the test was not phased by it. Mm-hmm. She tried to break the grammar down once and then moved on, even though I wasn't able to resolve it. Like maybe I made it like 4% better. Right. And that was it. And then I encountered a question about it. I looked at the answer choices. I could only eliminate two, picked one, flagged the question. Mm -hmm. And I never came back to that question. I had some extra time. So I think that's kind of what I'm talking about. I think the old me 
would have been like, let me go back, would have been so tempted. Mm -hmm. Because every single point, like to get into 170 really makes a difference. But I think the one who can get into 170 is the one who's looking to miss points. It's looking to miss the hardest questions, you know, for herself. The one that's going to take a lot of time to resolve and is going to be smart about where she gets the points from. Yeah. So... I think that was what I did differently the next time around. Gotcha. Okay. So how did form, you had mentioned things like putting your pencil down. You had talked about things like taking a sneak peek, developing certain habits, taking a deep breath. These are, I take are all the formal things. Form as opposed to substance, right? Substance Correct. in the sense of like, you got to know your conditional logic. You got to know how to parse difficult grammar. You need to understand how to read a comparative statement. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about form, which is something else. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I realized that was I didn't handle pressure well. You know, usually I wouldn't care about time, like or my score as much on the practice test. And I felt like my foundations at that point were really strong. Like I could do conditional logic without drawing. Mm -hmm. So things that I started focusing on, I think for RC, my form was I would read the first paragraph, you know, make a low res, then think ahead, predict what kind of passage I'm facing. One thing I realized was RC has a lot of cookie cutter type of passages. I could almost always predict what was going to happen. And that allowed me to process the rest of the information better. You mean as you're reading the passage, you could anticipate roughly where each subsequent paragraph was going to go? Correct. So I would also, once I made a hypothesis, I would do a sneak peek where I would look at a couple of words of each of the sentence of each of the paragraph. And I would get either a rough, like a rough confirmation you know, I was willing to be wrong about that. But that allowed me to, I think, also feel comfortable with the pastor. Like I knew the big picture. I just had to understand the details. Like I knew the point he was making. I had to understand his support about it. Right. You know, after I did that for the first paragraph and I did my hypothesis, I did my sneak peek, I would then read the second paragraph, then I would do my low rest, and then I would do my connect back. Like how does paragraph do connect to paragraph one mm-hmm. and so on. And I feel like that allowed me to also lean on to something like instead of like becoming nervous and just rushing sometimes, which I think you can fall prey to, which I did on my third take after having studied for a year. I remember feeling nervous about time for some reason, even though that hasn't been an issue. I hadn't been an issue for a long time. So I was like trying to finish as if like I was worried that something would happen. But here I had things to do and each step I had a task I had to complete. Mm. So if I'm reading the paragraph, my task is to understand the details that relate to supporting that idea, let's say. So I couldn't skip that. And once I'm done, you know, I can't just rush in. I have to make a loris. And at this point, I had a very good idea what good loris looks like. So it was not good. You know, I had to like fine tune it. Mm-hmm. And then I would do my connect back. So I felt like that allowed me to lean on something other than my fear of taking the test, I think. Got it. It's almost like you're too busy to be afraid. Yes, yes. (laughs) There are all these things that you have to do, you have to get done, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And each step, like I knew exactly what to do after each step. So I I couldn't skip that. That's what you mean by form. It's formal. Yes. Do one, then do two, then do three, then do four. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. 
my brain only had to read to understand. Like that's all my brain <laughs> had to do. Every decision was made before. Got it. And same with LG down to my first step of putting pencil down and reading the stimulus and even glancing at the rules. Then my second step would be to draw the master game board. Third would be to write the variables. Everything had an order. I had to only think about inferences. Like, and, and they also had a place where I had to think about them. Mm-hmm. There was nothing I could miss. Like, I wouldn't just forget to draw floaters. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't make a silly mistake because I also had a second check in my form. Mm, okay. So I think that really, really helped me yeah. for the 169 test. Okay. You uh, talked about the RC and LG form, but on that test, you said your LR dropped, right? Correct. What happened there? I think LR was the form that I didn't have down, mm. that I, I don't think I had it concretely down. I know that I had been working on it, but because I only had a month, my focus had been RC because RC was the one that would move a lot. I would sometimes go minus zero to minus three on LR. And so that didn't feel like an emergency to me. Mm. It felt like, you know, I had a fluke with LR with the 164. So I just presumed that it wouldn't happen again and it would only be RC that I needed to worry about because that was still on practice test, a section that could, you know, make me drop to like a low 170 or like a high 160 if it didn't go well. Mm -hmm. So I felt like all my effort just went to RC. And when I would work on LR, it was like, yes, I get (laughs) 50-50. It was not as fine-tuned. And I think I partially have to think like, I wish I'd had a really bad section in LR that would have given me that wake-up call Mm -hmm. that LR wasn't, I couldn't take LR for granted. Right, right. What did you do to get the following two tests, the 166s that follow the 169? I'm guessing your LR didn't go that well? No, and it was the only thing that also kept dropping, Mm. I guess, every time. And so I think at first I just redid the core curriculum. I thought it was just my foundation. I had cracks in my foundation. I, I don't know why I assumed that, but I was, mm-hmm. I was in that mindset that it must be it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing else. Cause I, I think I, at that point, I hadn't actually realized that I had equated the form I had for LR as if I knew it really well. Oh, I see. I see. So you're saying you did have a form, but you just weren't habituated to it. Right. And I don't think it was as fine-tuned as RC and LG form was. I see. So it was kind of like a vague thing. Yes. It was like, of course I skip. I had a skipping strategy. I think that was the thing that clouded my judgment Mm -hmm. is that I equated the skipping strategy, like knowing how to skip and never running into timing issue or score issue with, I knew I had a section strategy. And I I think a big idea of what to do in a 50-50, or I think at that point I had a strategy of like, you know, choosing two questions to miss. Mm -hmm. I think even with that, I think I could have gone further with my form. I honestly, looking back, I didn't really know what to do with the 50-50, not fine-tuned. I I think I often did not know how to, I think, do some of the harder questions. Because I didn't have a good form, I would flounder a bit. Gotcha. So you're saying at that point you had already nailed down a timing strategy where on every LR section, you're telling yourself, look, I'm going to try to go minus two on this, right? Meaning I'm going to throw away two points because, well, you know, those are the curve breaker points that I shouldn't be trying to get. But even then you thought it wasn't going far enough. And you mentioned that 
you didn't really know how to handle 50-50. I take that to mean like when you're down to two answer choices, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. I think it was like, it wasn't as fine-tuned. So like, mm. I got here, now what to do? I think I didn't have that. So what did you figure out to do? I, I think I didn't know because on the prep test, I again, <laughs> wouldn't have a bad section. Oh, um, I see. So I think I just assumed that... So I remember thinking with my 169, my first 166 that I got, I felt like maybe I was so focused on RC and the form that I had just kind of felt again, LR was fine. So I think I was like, did I get so comfortable with it? Maybe it was because I wasn't as alert as I was in RC, because that's where sometimes, you know, that was my biggest fear. So with LR would come around, I would take a sigh of relief because it's my favorite section. Mm -hmm. So I think I just had an assumption that I just wasn't somehow paying attention in LR because I was so comfortable with it. Mm. And I assumed it just kept being flukes. Like I didn't, I think I didn't honestly quite know how to handle it. Mm. I think it wasn't till I kind of just sat down and had a moment with, you know, there's been multiple PTs in a row that have told me LR is a problem on the real test. So what is it? And I just like opened all from my uh, 164 to 169 to my all my 166. I just opened my LR and I just compared the questions I was missing. And I think at that point, I got an idea of what was wrong. And I think I realized that because I didn't have the strategy fine-tuned, instead of dealing with a difficulty like a 50-50 or you know, things that where I have eliminated only two answers, I'm down to three, or I'm, you know, I'm not completely confident the answers have. I would often just do whatever on the test because like, if I'm calm, I can see the issue. But if I'm not calm, I, I wouldn't stick with it a little bit longer sometimes. or I wouldn't have an idea how to fix it that I would on practice tests. Mm. So I was actually missing a lot of easy questions and I wasn't making a dent in the harder questions. And I think I had an idea that every time I could recall that every time I would in the LR, I'd be a bit reckless because I was used to being reckless. Mm -hmm. I remember I would in practice tests finish in 19 minutes and then have a second round but do really well. But I think that strategy is devastating on a real test to me when I am nervous. Mm. Also, 19 minutes is really fast to get through a uh, first round. There was only one section like that. But I also think it's because I was skipping the harder questions too. So it wasn't like gotcha. that. It was, I think what I meant to say was like, I knew how to skip the harder questions. Gotcha. I think. gotcha. It was not that I was finishing all questions in 35 minutes. So I think... Going into my final 173, I tempered that a lot. So instead of just going, it's B, right? Feeling confident, I would look for a challenger to that answer. And I didn't take as many risks as I would in my practice test. I also learned how to, I would have a very specific strategy for a 50-50. Like if I'm down to answers, I would read the other answer choice again with increasing the level of work that I would do in, in breaking it down. Mm. I would do the same thing for the other one. I would pick the better one. And, you know, depending on my confidence, I would flag the question. So I had a very detailed strategy. You mean like, let's say you're down to A and B. You're saying if you just read A and B the way you normally would read it with the normal level of scrutiny, and the result is that you still can't decide between A and B, you would increase that level of scrutiny, meaning 
you might even do grammar parsing, like actual grammar parsing on the spot. Correct. So like, I feel like each, like I would just, I see. yeah, anytime I was down to two answers, like on my first read, like maybe I didn't eliminate two, mm-hmm. I would reread it, but I would reassess my understanding. So if that meant grammar, I would do grammar. If that meant asking myself a question, does this equate to this? I would actually answer it instead of like feeling nervous about the time. Gotcha. I think that was the issue that, you know, my first read, it's hard to do really very detailed level of work. Yeah. And I would never just increase that level. I think that was the issue. And so I, I kind of fine tuned that a bit, like, you know, when I'm down to three, what to do when I'm down to, I even got really good at breaking sentences down. My reading genuinely, I felt improved. Like mm-hmm. I got a grammar book and I just, <laughs> you know, a lot of people say that after I've heard, I can't even tell you how many students I've heard say that, like they just read better after studying intensely for the LSAT. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Looking back and how much I understood, like I'm appalled what a bad reader I was and I didn't know. <laughs> Like, I feel like I may have been illiterate to a level. (laughs) Like, I just didn't understand what I was reading. And honestly, it took me reading. I mean, I did a lot of things. I did this grammar workbook that I think helped me also see like the nuances of language. Mm. And even understanding things like colon and what happens after, you know, Mm. just really nitty gritty grammar stuff that I think helped me break down some of the things that outside writers do. It also got me comfortable with breaking down and rearranging sentence in my head really quickly when outside writers love to make it really difficult. So I think I got really good at that. I think in addition... I also realized I was a very passive reader. Uh-huh. I remember at that point, I actually um, read up on a lot of introductory books to like, I remember legal theory. I read introduction to art. Like I spent an entire day at Barnes and Noble just learning about uh, basic art movements and how that works. Because I realized I was bored in them. When we would start talking about morality on LR, it's hard to see the argument when you're struggling with the concept. Yeah, for sure. It's so much easier if you have, I mean, like, even if you have vague outlines that help you distinguish, you know, intentions versus consequences, right? Like, that just helps so much for the arguments to mean something real and tangible. Yeah. Yeah. Same same with art too, right? Like, do you have any specific examples from what you learned from art? Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm ashamed to say I grew up learning to not care about art you know our family was just like you become a doctor lawyer or math you know that's it so when I actually I think I didn't like I remember going to museums and not understanding all these things so but I remember like when I opened this book and I think I wish I had jotted like you know written down the name I didn't have money to buy it it was a 40 like how really expensive book Mm -hmm. and so I just read it in Barnes and Noble (laughs) because they had it there and they have chairs laid out I was like everybody else reads you know Mm -hmm. So I just opened it up. And I remember one thing I remember learning about, I started off with like the first art that was ever created. And it was just kind of talking about, in the introduction, it kind of started talking about how art was your reaction to its time. It was always trying to express something that it was seeing, like the humans that were seeing it. Mm-hmm. And each art movement that precedes it is often a reaction to how the other art movement doesn't express that dimension of human mm-hmm. emotion or the experience of you know, yeah. what's around them. And sometimes you know, things change. Maybe World War I happens that you know, now needs to be 
depicted in art, the pain. But then people get tired of the pain. So then there's a new movement that yeah. comes, you know. That right there, like yes. you've captured, you've captured like <laughs> at a super low resolution level the essence of so many art passages. Yes. <laughs> on the hell set. Yeah. Yeah. So once I learned that, I think I could see those happening yeah. in all the passages. So I, I stopped struggling with trying to make sense. In fact, I actually got very interested and appreciative of what the artist was trying to do. Right, right, right. I mean, it's not like you'll automatically then get better at the uh, RC questions. It's just, you know, if you have the right context within which to understand the details of the passage. Right. And also the interest that comes along yes. with it. I think it just, you know, your odds are just better. You have yeah. better chances of doing better on the passage. Yeah. I think combined, you know, that with... I think my form, which was, you know, as we mm, talked earlier, right. uh, and then combine that with my uh, increased ability to break down tough sentences and to stick with them and at least try and, and have a very efficient process to break them down and a very effective one a lot of the times. Yeah. I would say that I felt like going into the June test, like almost invincible, if that makes any sense. Like I could read really, really well. You're, you're talking about June 2019, the one 2019. Where, where you got a 173. Correct, okay. correct. Like obviously I would skip some questions that I didn't want to invest time in. Mm -hmm. But I felt like I was engaged when I would take that test, mm -hmm. something I had not felt before. Mm -hmm. Like I think also my mindset had changed. I think a lot of things changed. Like I was interested, I wasn't focused on score. So I actually genuinely felt like I was interested in everything I would read. I was very much involved with the test in a very good way, in a very positive way. And it was a puzzle and a challenge at the same time, something that was, I would say, pleasurable to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it became like RC stopped being something I would dread and something that I could just read and understand and appreciate. I'm sure people are thinking like, what are these books that you read? And they're going to want to know. So I'll get the titles from you after this and I'll drop the titles and links in the show notes. But I'm wondering what about the June test made it so psychologically or emotionally light? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I didn't tell anyone that I was taking this test. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I think I hated telling people. That's a really good idea. Yeah, I think my mom found out a couple of days before I was taking the test, uh -huh. but she was like in Alaska. <laughs> so I was and, and then I was uh, also in a school. So I, I don't think she cared what I got. You had applied and gotten in? Yes, I think for her, she had stopped pressuring me because according to her, I'd gotten into a really good school. I see. So I think you know, whether she knew or not, I think she was not going to ask me what I got. Gotcha. So from her perspective, it's like, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. My daughter already got into it. Do what you a, want. Yeah. <laughs> are we talking about like a T20 school? Correct. Okay. Correct. So I think that was from her perspective, which was a, definitely a lot of help because I definitely want to, to make her proud of me. And I think I was also struggling to understand what had happened that was wrong. Because So I think that fear that I was going to disappoint her again. It was always there. And this time around, it was not. I honestly read the books because I wanted to, right? So it, it was that kind of mindset that I hadn't told anyone. 
even if I do badly, no one was going to know I was going to go to a great school. Yeah. And I think that made me want to do this test for myself mm. instead of a particular score. The only one that knew was, you know, uh, my boyfriend and my dog. <laughs> and, you know, I, <laughs> I could trust them to not judge me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that was also a big difference that because nobody knew, I could just study for myself. Like I wasn't stressed about a particular performance that I had to do. Yeah. And there were no repercussions to me as well. But actually on the test day, the first section, it started again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was really? feeling, yeah, I was feeling good. And I was feeling a little bit like anxious, like, let's go. We had not started the test almost like we hadn't even been started admitting almost an hour after we were supposed to get admitted. And, you know, I have a particular time I drink water, you know, everything was set to go. And after an hour, we're being checked in. And it took almost, I think, additional to large class, 45 minutes. And this Mm. was in June, which is we're already starting late. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, I'm used to taking my test on time. And, you know, now we're not going to start almost to like two hours later, Mm -hmm. if we're lucky, because it's a big class. And the person kept messing up people like where he would put them and it was all kinds of mess and my ziploc bag opened up right as i about to check in like it would not like the zip broke mm. so it, it was i think bad but i finally got in i was feeling calm and the first section started and i felt in, in complete zone and then i remember going on round two it was lr and i think it was like all right finally i'm going to do great on lr and i'm going to have a successful lr and i looked down when i went to do my first question that I had flagged, which was like an earlier question, I think four or five or something like that. I, I don't think I had an answer. I went to bubble it and I saw there was another bubble there. <laughs> right. And I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> and then I was like, maybe it's just one mistake. And I looked down, it looked like almost everything was skewed. So my first reaction was like, Joe, you wouldn't believe it. I thought it was somebody else's scantron. Like, I don't know, it was a moment of like disbelief. <laughs> about what had just happened. Like I hadn't even brought a razor. I hadn't had a bubble mistake in so long that I was confident to like enough to not even bring a good eraser. Wow. I've taken six tests. I had never used a eraser. Wow. So I was just like, I had to use my pencil eraser, which was fine. But I remember that moment of panic where I couldn't tell where the mistake had started. And this was like five minutes had been called. So my strategy was to temper things. So that naturally meant that I was not going to have 10 minutes that I was used to to fix things. Right. So I had to raise everything and had to rebubble, but had to rebubble carefully mm. while my mind was going, I think, everywhere. I remember my hand shaking, but I, like, it, it was really tough to bubble in that moment carefully. Mm-hmm. And once I was done, I couldn't get my thoughts together. Like I, I would try to read the bubble that I had next and I just couldn't. And I remember <laughs> trying again and I couldn't. And I remember looking at the time going like, all right, I only have, you know, I think a minute left. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I remember just putting my pencil down because I realized I was pushing through something that was futile. Mm-hmm. And so I put my pencil down and I took a deep breath. I was like, I think I'd rather use this time to not, to just take a second because whatever I do is not going to help right now. So I I took a couple of deep breaths. I remember having this thought that, okay, if I don't have five minutes, I've taken enough tests to know what my score is usually like, you know, at the end of a section without a second round. And I 
reason I was about minus four, minus five at worst. Yeah. The, the section had been fairly easy. Okay. Right. And I remember going, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Right. And then I remember going, oh, but I really, the, the three practice tests I had taken, I'd scored a mid 170 score. Like, I remember the average was a 170. I was like, oh, I definitely don't have that, right? Maybe not even a 170 now, because I have to miss questions on the other sections to do well. Right. So it's not like, here, go. I'm not going to miss any questions. No, my strategy is to miss questions. So what was I going to do? And I, I was just like, I just wanted to have a good day today. Like, I can't. <laughs> I, remember, I remember having this thought. I was like, I am going to deal with this during the break. And then maybe I'll call up you know, my friend, and then I let them deal with this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I can't do anything with what has happened. And I just want to have a good test. Mm -hmm. Like, I just want to do my best. And that's all I came here to do. Like, really, I enjoy this test. And so I remember section two had started. I still hadn't engaged with the test. I just took a second, I think additionally, and then it was RC. And I just started and it felt like I was back in. So I took about, I think, two and a half to minutes to get into it. But I think once that I was able to calm myself down, it just felt like I was back in the test. Mm. And I, I felt calm. Like I almost forgot what had happened. Like I started reading and I was interested. And then I really genuinely forgot till break time. <laughs> That's great. I think it's really important to be able to have that moment of self-reflection where you say to yourself, okay, so I had to spend all of my what normally would have been round two time, I had to spend all of it rebubbling. So right. I don't get to have a round two. But you know what? Even without a round two, the worst I do is minus four, minus five. So that's like absolutely the worst that could happen in this section. So damage control. That's good. Especially, I think it is really important to just contain what happened in one section to that section. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too. And I think had I just been like, I've got to get every question correct now, I think I would have had a bad score. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. No question about that. Yeah. I, I think it was just a mindset. Like, I think at some point I, I did panic thinking like, I can't miss that many questions. Um, like this was an easy section. Like I'm facing a hard section ahead. Mm, I see. I remember thinking that I'm going to face a really hard section. And if I'm going minus four here, what now? I don't have much room of like maneuvering. Yeah. But then I think I just, I just want to perform like I know how to perform. Yeah. And I think that's, really what I think helped me. It was not caring about the score and just performing and enjoying that, enjoying that test. I know it's hard to enjoy a test because you're really struggling, but it's, there's kind of like a pleasure and effort and, you know, getting to do what you've been prepping to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you get your score report from the June test? I did. Okay. What was the breakdown? So my first section LR, where I hadn't had the second round, Yeah. it was a minus four. Okay. So you, you did get minus four with a rebubbling, no second round. Do you remember which questions you missed? I don't really, but it was, I think for a couple of them, I didn't have, I could see that I raised and I didn't have answers for them. Oh. So I think it was some of the ones that had flagged. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. So you didn't even get a chance to guess. I just put my pencil down. <laughs> you just put your pencil down. <laughs> you really just put your pencil down. You breathe until the proctor called time. Yeah. And I, and I still kept breathing. Yeah. Within, like, I think the second section. Okay. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit after the second started. Yeah, yeah. I would say about 20, 30 seconds more. And, yeah. and I truly felt ready to come back and I came back. Yeah. I remember when that had happened. I, I do forget this. 
when initially that had happened, I looked around to cancel the test. Mm. <laughs> I remember going, oh, this is over, right? I'm, I'm bad at this again. Like, oh no, not again, right? Mm-hmm. I really, I was like, I'm just bad. Like I had all kinds of oh. negative thoughts just rushing into my head. And then at that moment, another girl raised her hand to cancel. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I was going to cancel. But I remember having that thought when yeah. she raised her hand. I think just seeing someone do it, I think for me, it became like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Right. Just do what I know what to do, which is put the pencil down. I think that's why I didn't bubble or anything. Yeah. It was just because there was so much happening in my head that I just needed to do what I have been told was part of my form, like things went wrong, mm-hmm. which was to put my pencil down and close my eyes, inhale and take a longer exhale. Yeah. And I think that, I think I'm happy and I'm okay with missing those questions because I think had I even tried to bubble in, I'm not sure I would have done well on the second section. Right. Because I needed that time to get my head together. Yeah. The second section was RC. What did you get there? I went minus one on that. Okay. And section three? Was experimental RC. So I have no idea. Okay. And then four and five? It was LR and I went minus zero. Great. And then Ouchie? I went minus one. That's amazing. So you basically missed two more questions for the rest of the three sections I counted. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Wow. Good job. Yeah. I'm really genuinely shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I remember walking out and calling Kangen right and saying, I think had I not had that mistake happen, I would have scored a high mid 170s. Right. Yes. 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 And I was like, should I cancel? (laughs) Right. I was going to leave it up to somebody else to make the decision. That was my promise to myself that Mm -hmm. I was not going to give in to that. Right. So like, yeah, here I was, I was allowed to give in to all kinds of bad thoughts after the test. Yeah. And I think the advice I was given was, you know, you've had bad sections before and you've just done fine. Yeah. Right. So like, how's this any different? Right. Right. Wow. Wow. What a trip. I don't think I've ever had a section where I scored my average. (laughs) Never, never. (laughs) I'm so happy. I really am. Yeah. I'm glad you put the cancel decision. You placed that authority with somebody else. You're not to be trusted when it comes to that. (laughs) Well, but I also think that was because it was part of my form. Right. Yes. That was something I had built in that, you know, I had imagined a scenario, right? Like what if just things feel so bad? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when I don't make that decision for myself yeah. to cancel, yeah. right, I can always cancel later Two, I just put my pencil down and take a deep breath. Yeah. So I think, I think also even not leaving that decision, you know, up to chance was, I think, key to, <laughs> key to doing well right. on this one. Right, right. I also had a thought of canceling. Uh, my score when I took it, but I also consulted other people. And it's just way better when you just report the facts yes. to other people so that they can evaluate it objectively. You almost can't help but like subjectively color it right, with yeah. your emotions and your psychological state. So it's just not good. Other people will make a better decision for you. Yeah. Now, of course, having said that, I've also heard people say like, oh, but you don't know how bad it was. It was really bad. It's like, okay, the whole point of telling someone else is so that you can listen to their objective evaluation of your yes. situation. Yes. I'm really glad you didn't cancel your 173. <laughs> that would have been. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. I actually remembered, I think, a story that also helped that came to my mind 
when that was going through my head was I remember you had told us the story about how you went during the break to the bathroom to like put water on your face because you had felt that you hadn't had a good PT till that point. Yeah, it was two RCs and an LR, two RCs back to back for one and two and then an LR. I knew it was really bad because the first section was, this was from prep test 50, which for me was my real prep, was my real LSAT. And I had the uh, riddled basins chaos. Oh my goodness. So I was (laughs) just not ready for that. It's like, oh my God, terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody's ready for that one. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually followed what you did. Uh, just to make myself feel better, I remember during the break, I went to the bathroom. I splashed my face with water. <laughs> I think I kind of held it in and put it in the back of my head. So when the break came around, I actually felt sick suddenly. Then I went to the bathroom, took deep breaths again, you know, splashed my face with water. And I was like, I did what JY did. Hopefully it works out. <laughs> <laughs> but did you hop around on your left foot counterclockwise three <laughs> No, you hadn't told me to do that. <laughs> that's the but that's the real secret. I was like, I genuinely did not know what to do. So I followed what I had heard, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, all right, do this step and then take a deep breath and, you know, then leave it up to whatever you right, do you. Right, right, right. Wow. I think you're going to have a pretty good application cycle, although you're going to write a addendum, right? Correct. Yeah. Because I think with seven scores, you're going to need to say something. Yeah. I have a short one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't be too long. They don't want to hear all the details about how you focused on your form. (laughs) (laughs) Write a five-page one. So after that section. (laughs) And then you won't believe it for the 173 one. I missed double. (laughs) The trauma. It's riveting. But through all of this, I persevered. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Some days, I still can't believe I have that, right? Because so many years I spent just not getting it. Yeah. Sometimes I'm still surprised I have that. Like, I have to sometimes just stop and be like, I did it. Like, even though it's been months. I know. know, It's such a a brutal test. It's like... it's not only like you have to know the logic and the grammar, you have to be able to execute this under the most stressful conditions, right? Yeah. It's like the way it's structured, it's like after you take it, the three weeks you have to spend waiting for your score, it's just pure agony. Oh my. I was not going to open that email. <laughs> if you knew the story, I'd gotten the email and I saw it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to my law school. Yeah. And in my second year, I'm going to open this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I was like, I don't need to see this. You know, I was convinced, you know, subjective again, right? I yeah. thought I had, subjectively, it had felt so much worse, right? right? Even right. though I had enjoyed the rest of the test, even if I could tell that to my student, like, hey, just one section. To you, that section, even when you know the facts, feel blown out of proportion, yeah. I think. Yeah, exactly. So I was not going to open it. You know, I remember I had an hour before I had another student. So I was like, if I see it now, I can probably finish crying by then <laughs> and be ready for the student. You know, nobody's going to see me handle this badly. Mm-hmm. So I finally opened it and I had to look at it twice because I was like, maybe I didn't see this correctly. And then I think that was the moment that yeah. I was so happy I didn't wait a year to see my score. <laughs> Well, I also wanted to ask, now that you've had, I'm guessing like 
years, right? Teaching yeah. students. What do you tend to see? What do you tend to encounter with your students? What kind of like common advice you think would apply broadly for people? I think I have different advice for different people. Like I would say like depending on the stage of prep that they're in. So I think for the people I get that are like scoring in 140s and 150s, my advice is to like, you know, really get the foundation strong. Mm-hmm. There's no point in rushing these because the stimuluses are applying that information. So you have to know them. You know, the stimulus is not the time to figure out conditional logic. So I think that's kind of my advice, like also to see patterns, like how causation works, you know, and see it across different question types. Yeah. So we do a lot of like cookie cutter arguments. So like, you know, I would say like, for example, like A therefore B is a very popular pattern on LR. So I kind of showed them how there's one that's like one star question like that, but then there's also five star question like that. So they can kind of get an idea how things are crafted Mm. across the board. The complications that the LSAT writers layer on to turn something with a rather simple form into a very difficult question. Correct. And so I think that I think also teaching them, you know, how to skip the hardest ones, you know, and for them, there's a lot more of that and focusing on doing the easy ones better, Mm -hmm. like all the focus to go on to like one, two, three star. And if you have time left to attempt some four star, because it's a step, right? Yeah. It's not from like 140 to 170. It's like, you know, 140 low score to a 145, you know, and building from there. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. Just straight up like you're just like look if it's a four star five star question at this point in your prep straight up ignore those correct let's correct. focus on one two three star questions make sure you actually understand them you can get them right not only can you get them right try to get them right faster and also see how they're cookie cutter how they're related to one another how they share in the same form so we can improve your score by like five points correct yeah. correct yeah. i also notice this pattern across the board i would say sometimes even in my students with i would say like a low 160 score and below mm-hmm. is that you know I, something that i recognize in myself is that they're not very good readers and in fact i think a lot of people assume that rushing even like further rushing what they're not understanding is the key to doing well mm-hmm. It's this focus on speed rather than understanding. Mm. So a lot of times I feel like, you know, even if I'm tutoring to anyone at any level, I think most of the time with the higher level students that I get, like in mid-160 and up, they're reading pretty well. Like they may have a here and there, they kind of lose sight of the big picture sometimes. So we want to maybe focus on form or something like Mm -hmm. that. For the people who are scoring under that score, a lot of times it's I'm teaching them to actually focus on understanding what they're reading. Yeah. A lot of times they're genuinely surprised that I tell them to understand what they're reading. <laughs> and I have to... But, but you know, okay, so let me push back a little bit because I, I feel like yeah. you might be up against this problem of not knowing what you don't know. Like you say, you tell them to actually understand what they're reading and their reaction is that of surprise. Well, yes, because nobody would knowingly not understand what they're reading and then just like push on anyway right like of course people would (laughs) okay fair fair enough you're right i should i should have said i should have said most people most people yeah Um, yeah a lot of times it is actually showing them as well that they were not reading and understanding right to the to the level that the lsat requires yeah and there is a genuine surprise in that yeah 
like teaching them that understanding the word doesn't mean you're understanding the maybe even the idea of the sentence or even right. at the deeper level how that sentence connects to everything that you read right. and you may have to even push on a bit further to craft you know if that's even a good support or like if how that fits in you know with the rest of what you read yeah I also think just utilizing, just doing active reading also helps you remember things more Mm -hmm. because, you know, by pushing back towards the idea, you're able to recall uh, more because you applied that understanding. Mm -hmm. So I think it's also kind of reassuring people that reading and kind of understanding a bit further is not going to equate in them losing, like it may be, you know, initially, but over time, they will get more familiar with this and it will actually lead them to have more time than they currently do right. because they'll be faster in questions. I think that's the biggest fear of a lot of students. Yeah, people are definitely resistant to careful reading precisely yes. because of how much time it takes. And it's true. Yeah. There's, I, don't, I don't know if there's any way around it, right? Like you have to slow down yeah. and read well before you can speed up and read well. I always tell people you have to develop that skill, right? To yeah. may have to slow down, but you can get faster at figuring the solution out, right? Yeah. Or working that process. Because I was so bad, right? I was genuinely shocked that I was not understanding what I was reading. And initially, I had to do a lot of untimed work of like, I remember at one point, my drill was, Every time I see referential phrasing, I have to connect it and then put it back in a sentence to make yes. sure it makes sense. Yes. I just even simple things like that. I had yeah. to slow down and build them. And now I can do them fast. Yeah, that's a really great exercise. You can do this with anything, with any old yeah. prep test. Like take the prep test, take those three LRLRRC sections and ignore everything on the test except for yeah. referential phrasing. Yes. And just like literally circle every referential phrase and then trace it back to the word that it's, or the phrase that it's referencing, that it's pointing to. Yeah. Right. It's like one of those nitty gritty grammar exercises that I just help you. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I remember the other one that helped me was like, I thought I knew how to break down like noun verb predicate. I remember at some point realizing when it came to tough questions, I didn't. Yeah. Like I wasn't very good. Yeah. You mean like the simple version would be like the cat drinks milk, right? The cat would be right. the noun, the subject, noun. the verb, the predicate of the sentence would be drinks milk, right? It's pretty Correct. straightforward. Every sentence yeah. has something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so too, like with LR, they're very complicated. Yeah. So <laughs> I had to actually learn how to get first, break them down yeah. and then how to get the practice that I need to do them in a good amount of time, like yeah. a short amount of time. Yeah. And I still don't engage at that level with every question. You right. know, the ones I've deemed, you know, I let go of answer choices all the time. Like, like, okay, maybe I won't have to resolve it. But if I do engage with it, if I decide I need to resolve it, I do good work. And that changed, I think. I think I would still, back in the day, I would do some shoddy work. Mm. <laughs> I think I would be like, sure, I think. And especially under the real conditions, I'd be like, oh, I'm nervous, I'm sure. I'm sure I understood it. Yeah. I was afraid, you know, to to stop and go further. Yeah. It does take time, especially for more convoluted comparative statements. Yes. It does take time. So I just, sometimes I even find that, like, I have to make a decision. I can't have it all. I have to decide, like, am I going to do this or am I going to do that? Yes. 
I don't have time to do both. Yes. Right? So yes, we definitely don't want to fight every battle. Yeah. But you know, to get into some scores, you do have to make a dent. That's something I also had to realize. Like I can't just ignore the hardest sentences all the time and pretend. Right. Because I did have to make a dent in that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you point to something that might be um, a mistaken conclusion people draw from the skipping strategies, right? Which is that, well, yeah. if I'm going to be skipping the hardest ones anyway, then what's the big deal? It's like, well, yeah, but on blind review, you should still review the hard, even the ones that you skipped, right? Because you are trying to get better. You're hoping like next time, maybe that one won't be so hard. Maybe yeah. because you've upgraded, right? You've gotten yeah. better. And I think I plateaued because of that like I think I was doing badly mm. on tests because I assumed that because I could skip yeah, right yeah. I didn't have to do that further level of work gotcha um for the hard ones I think I also had to learn how to get better in blind review to break those sentences down yeah yeah so that that's kind of my advice is yes you can skip but you know you can also pick but you also should at the same time I would say like also a lot of people just don't engage with what they're reading yeah like so one thing I noticed a lot of students do is if I ask them to read, they'll just read from the top to the bottom of the paragraph or even the passage and not stop. Oh, uh, right. right. A single thought. Yeah. And I was like, I couldn't keep up <laughs> with, with the way it right. was just read, right? Yeah. Because if I did that, I, I would not be able to understand. Yeah, if we can analogize reading an RC passage to like, hiking a trail it's not like you just start and you just go forward and then you're done no it's like you start yeah. and then you like three steps in you, you turn around you start walking backwards and then you go left <laughs> to yes. see what's there and yes. then you come back on the trail <laughs> maybe you move forward a little bit more before yeah. you have to turn around and look back maybe this time you don't go back but you just look back at where you where yeah. you started but yeah the, a lot of reading is just like reading forward a little bit going back a little bit seeing how what you had already read how that relation changes in context of what you had just read, right? And building yeah. that relationship out. Yeah, if you just linearly progress from top to bottom, I don't think you have a good understanding. And also, I think the hardest part is people are used, like it's, it's a habit by now, right? To read a certain way. Yeah. It was a habit for me to read a certain way. Yeah. It's hard to come to terms that not only have to change that, but it takes time to change that. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm actually very happy that I'm going to go to law school now because I feel like I can actually, I know how to break down what yeah. I'm reading. Like, I know how to understand what I'm reading. I feel fully prepared yeah. to go to a top law school. If that makes any sense. Like, I feel like I would be very competitive now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, as compared to even if I had gotten it in at 169, like, I'm actually grateful for this opportunity to become a better reader. Yeah. I know it took a year, but I'm I'm very happy with what where my reading skills are now. Right, right, yeah. This I, I actually hear this from uh, graduate students, uh, even even not in, not in law, like in in the sciences, mm. where I mean, you know, the kind of papers they have to read are these peer review uh, studies, yeah. where there's like, yeah, look, you read it for the first time, you maybe understand the title, maybe, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like after like your brain hurts for a whole day and you've read it three yes. times, you're starting to get a sense of what the authors are talking about. Right? Yeah. 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 Obviously, the LSAT reading passages are not not at that level of difficulty, but, you know, it's it's on a spectrum, right? It is. It's, mm -hmm. It sits on that spectrum, too, of difficulty, so. Yeah. And I think the original question was, what would I suggest for the higher students who score 
you know, like above 166 to break the plateau. And I would say it's a strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Really honing into like, you know, kind of finding out how you dealt with a difficulty, mm-hmm. right? If you took too long, you know, what caused you, what situation you were in. And I would say also like blind, like have a strategy and then blind review your process as well. So like, you know, if you're down to 50-50, watch yourself. How did you handle it? Yeah. Did you act according to what you were supposed to do? Yeah. Right? Yeah. One thing that you didn't get to experience because uh, June was all paper, right? Should July was half and half paper digital. You didn't get to experience the digital tester, <laughs> which uh, <No. laughs> good for you, I suppose. Um, I took the one that they released from July digitally, and actually, oh, wow. I kind of liked it. Really? Not like officially at LSAC, but just you know when they released it to us, we put it in our digital tester. Um, do you remember how tedious it was to do those timing reports? Oh, yes. Where you had to record yes. yourself and then you had to watch the all, video. It would take all day. Yeah, it would take like <laughs> an hour to like review the footage of a 35-minute video to like record the time and look over. But, you know, with a digital tester now, there's mm-hmm. – have you seen this with your students? Yeah. You, yes. You know there's that I, timing column. I have them email it to me yeah. as screenshots. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is amazing. Like, I'm so yeah. happy. That that just saved everybody so much time. Oh, my God. To not have yeah. to, like, look over. So this, if the listener doesn't know what I'm talking about, it's um, the uh, digital tester on our site. It just automatically records how much time you're taking. It gives you a report of how much time you spend on these questions. So you can take it to, like, I mean, for example, if you see that it's a one-star question and you spent three minutes on it, well, that's not good, yeah. right? Or if it's a five-star question and you spent three minutes on it and you were actually deciding between A and B where C was the right answer all along. I mean, that's like the most classic case of getting caught in a time sink and they trapped you, right? So that's also not good. So now finally you get to see like really how much time Uh you're spending on a question. I can also see like the questions that they were struggling between because then they'll like click something and then they'll click something and it will show that movement. And I was like, we were down to three answer choices right yeah yeah it shows like if you clicked d and then you clicked c and then you switched to d yeah 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 yeah. and then you'll switch to c again i was like well what was the strategy right 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 right. yeah yeah so i think i actually make that a requirement when i have my students you know take a take a pto section to like email me the timing breakdown yeah it's really hard to strategize without knowing at a fine-grained level the timing analysis yeah yeah it's beautiful like what (laughs) like i genuinely remember i would take the test and be like all right you know like have lunch and then i have an entire evening of just breaking down this thing it's like and then you can't even turn that off because you know you have to watch yourself make that switch from like c to e like you gotta make that in the notes and then you gotta like be really quick about it too because you know you're moving to the next question (laughs) so it was rough yeah kids these days kids (laughs) these days (laughs) I don't even know how good they have it. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't. I was like, this would be, and for a tutor sometimes, you know, you have to break that down for them if, you know, they didn't know what they're doing. So right. like, I feel like now it's like automated world. It's so beautiful. Right. Cutting down. Right. It's worrisome, but it's also cutting down so much of the work that, you know, yeah. slowed us down before. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, Sammy, this, is, uh, this has been amazing. I'm so glad I got to hear your full story in all its glorious detail. Do I thank you so much for everything? I honestly don't think I could have made it without everything that you've done. Thank you. 
Wow, you're very welcome. And I'm very happy for you. I'm sure you'll have amazing results in this application season. I can't wait to get an update from you. Me too, me too. I cannot wait as well. Hi, everyone. It's JY again. Thanks very much for listening. I do hope this episode left you feeling inspired to study. An update about Sammy. She was admitted to several T14 schools, and I'm happy to report that she is currently a 1L at Northwestern. If you have any comments or suggestions for us, send us an email at podcast.7stage.com. We always love to hear from you. And if you're looking for help with your LSAT or law school admissions, come visit us at 7stage.com. Thanks, and see you next time.